I hope so. Yeah. So let's put that out here. Here's the shower sign up, but I don't have the pen. Roberta, do you want to get the pen for the shower shuttle? Okay. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. I think it's in uh, his, I got the paper out, but the, the pen is in Rick's drawer. Hey, Zach, good morning. Gotcha. Hello. Is there a special pen for that? Yes, she's getting it. Okay. Morning. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, and guests are arriving at the Corvallis Daytime Drop-In Center, whose mission is, and I quote, to respond to the significant needs of individuals, especially those who are experiencing homelessness, low income, mental health, or dual diagnosis issues by providing dignified personal assistance and advocacy. So let's listen to some local folks who are associated with the center. That we are uh, called the Corvallis Daytime Drop-In Center and that we serve a population under the umbrella of poverty and we provide some basic needs where needs are met is our motto mm -hmm. and we have food all day long we're not a meal site and we have uh, lots of from our hub we have lots of spokes that go out to the resources in the community and some nitty-gritties are mail and phone and mm -hmm. stuff like mm -hmm. that we take people where they're at and we don't have a threshold they have to jump over before they can ask I would say what's led me to do what I do here mm -hmm. is because my whole entire life I have cared for the city of Corvallis and um, every single person that lives in this town is my neighbor, mm -hmm. uh, regardless whether they're on the hill, a doctor, somebody sleeping in a tent or under the bridge, they're my neighbors. People have such a negative view of, of homelessness that some people choose choose it, but others, some of us just got thrown into it and aren't sure how to get out. I think that the homeless are with us, period. I don't think that all the services we can or potentially provide is, is going to eliminate homelessness. This is something we, we live with. I think it is. I think it's something we're going to live with more and more. At least it's not, it's not really going to go away. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, the one thing homeless people need is a place to go where it's safe, like the drop-in center. Homeless people are here to stay. And we, better, we ought to find out a way to, to live with it the best possible. to invite people to come here to get to know people. And I think that uh, their attitudes will change. Mine certainly did. Uh, so that would be, 
I don't know any other way to do it. You know, unless people are willing to get to know the people that they're, they're they seem to be having trouble with. A lot of these people are artists and have all sorts of other contributions to give. And I think they deserve a chance to be able to express themselves and to contribute to our community too. I mean, we're wasting a lot of human potential here by shuffling the homeless out of sight. Yeah, I mean, once I got over my own prejudices, realize what neat, interesting, and vital people these really are. And I have been not considered them as people, just as some category other than that before. They're some of my best friends. That was Alita, Tiana, Amy, John, Peter, and Rick, all people associated with the Corvallis Daytime Drop-In Center. We'll hear a lot more from them and other local folks who are connected to the center in upcoming episodes. Hello, everyone. I'm Bob Madar, and I welcome you to Season 3, Helping the Homeless, of Local Folks Podcast. Homelessness is a complex and contentious issue in Corvallis, as I am sure it is in a lot of other communities and there are a lot of opinions on how best to deal with it. I'm not going to focus on the pros and cons of the various approaches to addressing the issue. Instead, I'm going to concentrate on the voices of the homeless themselves and the committed members of my community at the CDDC who are working together to help them. I have learned so much from all the local folks at the Corvallis Daytime Drop-In Center, and I hope you will find what they have to say as informative and inspiring as I have. To begin, let's listen to Darlene, who was instrumental in creating the center and was the center's managing director for a number of years. Before we start, Darlene references several things that I should clarify. Sunflower House is now Community Outreach Incorporated, a nonprofit social service organization that provides a wide array of services and supports to individuals and families in need. A mental break is when someone's mental illness manifests itself. For example, yelling at imaginary people while walking down the street. And Squirrels is a popular local tavern. So, uh, Darlene, if you wouldn't mind uh, talking a little bit about how you started, um, or how did you become involved with the center? What was the name of the center before it was? The center's name was Circle of Hope. Circle of Hope, okay. Uh And the people who started it, I knew of, and I had heard of the fact that it was a place for homeless and disabled people to help figure out their paperwork, to help figure out what they could do with their lives and get support within a place that they called their own. And they acted like that. Mm-hmm. And um, so how I got involved was I have a disability and I got better over the years. And then I haven't been sick again for 10 years. So I have that proof to show people who are going through breaks or their family to come in and talk to me about someone who comes to the center 
that had a break or something like that, or the homeless people's families who get in touch with them, or even life and death, you know. Um, so a baby is born and everyone celebrates it, or someone dies and we all know about it, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, so when you say um, um, uh, the idea of um, a place that's their own or that they own, could you expand on that a little bit? Um, yeah, there's a... I mean, I facilitated it, but I facilitated it in a way that it belongs to them. It doesn't... I just help facilitate it through the government paperwork and things that I get other people to write grants for us and stuff like that. I helped get those office kind of workers to work for me. And then I have this building, but it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the people who come there. That way, it's like cleaning your house. You're there, you're going to help keep it clean, you're going to help tell me what the problems were at the camps last night, you know, and why people are so, the certain way that they are that day, the next day, and I mean, also, it gave them a place to be. It became a place of birthing its own needs. Could you expand on that? That's a really interesting way to put it, birthing its own needs. Yeah, the people who were there... Just because I know how to work at Sunflower House on the crisis line, that's what I did before. And I did that for about 12 years. So I talk to people on the phone, but it doesn't mean that I know their whole life history or that I even want to know. I just, I was there to facilitate them getting in touch with Social Security, glasses, places to live, counseling, people that supported their problem that they were in, bicycles. You know, um, just things, a telephone, mm-hmm. there was mm-hmm. a TV, we had dances for teenagers there because we had that building the whole week, you know, uh-huh. or the whole month, you know, mm-hmm. so we might as well do something non-alcoholic, non-drug charged. You can't be there if you're a teenager and on drugs or alcohol, you can be there. And, and mm-hmm. I got bands from all over the country, from all over the state that were, they travel in a a align with their professional, you know, needs of the band. Oh, right, In, in right. like a bar or a restaurant or oh, something. Oh, yeah, they got But they come right and, through, right, yeah, gig right, here and there. But, yeah. but I'm on the way, so could they just stop off for a couple hours? So bands didn't get paid to be there, mm-hmm. and neither did I. Right. So you didn't get paid. You were volunteering for that. Right, and there was five computers there. There was printing machine. There was like a kitchen, like here. So what were some of your real challenges? in terms of running the center, you know, what were the things that were, were there things that were challenging, difficult? Yeah, there's not enough funding. There's not enough help for people. You can't, and people aren't ready to turn over all they've discovered in the homeless world to moving into an apartment. Really, they want to, but they're not ready. Sometimes people just aren't ready. And when you say not ready, what kinds of ways were they not, in, in not ready for that, that change? I don't know if I can explain the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's not. It's not like what's appropriate way to act. That's mm-hmm. that's not what I mean. Mm-hmm. I mean that um, it's scary for them. And are they getting enough counseling around getting into a new place? Mm-hmm. That's a big change in lifestyle. Yeah, it's a change in lifestyle, and everybody wants them to have that change in lifestyle. But are you ready for what we have to offer? And maybe this town has more or less than another town. So one of the challenges was that I was 
making a place that's nicer than other places so they're going to get on the computers and tell their friends to come live in Corvallis because mm-hmm. they take care of the homeless better. Mm-hmm. That was a complaint at a city meeting. That was a complaint at a city meeting? Yeah. How, what's your own personal view on that? Is that something you th- think could have that, happened? That, that's like the, not a scary thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where, you know, and it's not maybe not true. And, and it is in my face because I'm downtown next to buildings who have businesses. I'm across from squirrels. They watch out for me mm-hmm. in a way, but at the same time, sometimes they don't want that place there because we had to have them smoke in a different place so they weren't in front of the building. They couldn't sit out the front of the building. And it was because they were homeless. And they weren't throwing pitching words at people across the street or anything, but... Mm-hmm. What does it look like for the city, you know? And it's like, well, guess what? You know where they are now. You know that I'm here to help them. You know they're getting help eventually. And you were never so interested in them before, so (laughs) quit it. So, um, one question. Um, Over over the time that you worked at the center Mm -hmm. and worked with the, the, I know the leader calls them guests here, with the guests and the folks that came by, has your thinking about the homeless and the issues that they faced changed over time based on your experience with those folks? The more they're integrated into my life, it changed incredibly. Because I held a stereotypical um, explanation of who they were. Could you explain that? Yeah, you say they're homeless people, so what? That means they steal. That means they, you know, are hanging outside your door at night. That means they could come in your house. That means they know where you live, but you don't know them. They can see you, but you can't see them. one of the most fulfilling kind of jobs that I've ever had because it's still with me I'm still not working around. yeah I haven't worked there since 2007 that's what 12 years mm-hmm. and I'm still friends with the people that are here and I know where they can go get help if they need help and I'm going to ask them if they look like they need help and I'm downtown mm-hmm. and how many other people were educated by me to pass that on it's a personal choice of mine Mm -hmm. and whoever I worked with it was their choice how far they could go Mm -hmm. and and it was an experiment for me to work with people not the homeless people but the other side the administrations and stuff oh right and Mm -hmm. gain respect from them and I mean my life fell apart every three years since I was 18 and it stopped 10 years ago for a bunch of reasons because I worked really hard to get this far Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. excuse me mentally and and um, I'm proud of myself, but I know I can be, be proud of other people. Yeah. I can be proud of other people too, and I can help them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. their story doesn't have to be the same or anything. I can just try to help. Exactly. So my last question is uh, kind of, um, let's say you were. Um, in a 
tall building and you're waiting for an elevator. And so the elevator doors open and you get on and a couple of people get on with you and you're all going up, say, the fifth floor, sixth floor. So you mm-hmm. get about five floors. And somebody says to you, hey, so what about this drop-in center? What, 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 what's your mission at the drop-in center? And you have five floors to tell them. Uh, what would that be? Oh, boy. And take, I mean, take time. My to first see. answer is nothing. I don't have a mission in it at all. <laughs> I don't. Because I'm here for myself. I realize that. But I'm here also because of what I want to know and what I can give back to the community. I'm here for every person that comes in that door every day. Nobody gets more paperwork or less paperwork or more abilities or less abilities. You know, everyone get everybody gets reached and everybody's reaching out. When I started creating this episode from about six hours of recordings from the field, I really didn't have a clear vision of exactly what I wanted it to say. I just knew I had to introduce the series, and the message really only crystallized after I'd listened to the finished program. Kind of snuck up on me, I guess. I think it really boils down to opening my ears and really listening to people and what they have to say and putting my opinions, ego, and preconceived notions and stereotypes aside. Like many people, I knew very little about the homeless people I encountered on the streets of Corvallis, and I really didn't pay a whole lot of attention to them either. While not actively hostile or afraid, I didn't feel particularly comfortable in their presence and avoided engaging with them in any meaningful way. After talking with guests, volunteers, and staff at the Corvallis Daytime Drop-In Center, I realized that the homeless are as much members of my community as any other resident of Corvallis and are deserving of my regard, concern, and help. And I think my admiration. I really don't know just how resilient I would be in the face of the challenges these local folks have had in their lives. I've been exceedingly lucky in having a relatively easy and comfortable life. From my conversations with local folks who work at the center to provide services to the guests, I can say they have a very clear vision of the people they serve that is devoid of stereotypes and judgment, but filled with compassion, kindness, empathy, courage, determination, resourcefulness, open-mindedness, and mental toughness. They remind me of something Jerry Conrad, a specialist in working with students at risk of dropping out of school, said to me at a workshop years ago, when I was beginning my teaching career. People often say to me that you must be a very nice person to work with these kids. And I often respond, no, these kids don't need nice people. They need tough, compassionate people who believe in them and who will be there for them when things get difficult. Just like the local folks at the Corvallis Daytime Mountain Center. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll return for Episode 2, airing on November 1st, when we'll spend more time exploring the work of the volunteers at the Corvallis Daytime Drop-In Center. 
Oh, by the way, the music in this program was composed, performed, and recorded by Nick Rivard, a local musician and teacher. Thanks, Nick. KBOO Portland 103.7 